Hey, well, good morning. You guys ready? You guys ready? You are not ready. Hey, listen, I believe today, as we just talk about humans are awesome, I believe the topic we're going to hit today really has this potential to change all of us. It's going to change how we see the world. It's going to change how we live. It's going to change how we respond to certain situations. So get ready. Listen, we're going to go ahead and grab our Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, if you have a Bible. If you don't, we always have paperbacks. You can go to the page that we have on the screen, 522. You can also grab it on your app or your phone or your iPad or whatever. So we would love for you to grab that and take a look. And uh, But as we get into the topic, just to introduce the topic as you guys are turning there, you know, you know, we know a lot of awesome people, don't we? Like, you know some people that are awesome. Like we just saw in the video, some of those folks that were awesome. They could do some stupid human tricks, kind of. They could do some things I wish I could do, climbing the building, you know, skateboarding with your child in your hand. Maybe that's not the best. But, um, you know, we know some people. You have some friends who are awesome, don't you? You got some friends who are generous. They would help you. They would come over to your house if something were broken and help you fix it. They may watch your kids for you if you needed to run an errand. Um, they, may, they may give you a dog if you owned a cat because you need a change in your life. Like, do you, do you know some folks who are awesome? You, you know people that um, are super smart and can help. You know people who are always positive. Like on the Enneagram, they're always a seven. And so just to be around, yeah, come on. Some, it, just, it just helps. You just wish you could touch them and rub it under your skin, and it would, you would be more positive. Like, we know people who are awesome. And if we're honest, it's easy to be awesome when life is awesome, isn't it? It's easy to be awesome when things are going your way, isn't it? Anybody understand that? Yeah, it's easy. Man, when life's going my way, like when I don't have any unexpected expenses, when I have the boyfriend or girlfriend that I want, when I get asked out, or when my marriage is good, or when my kids clean their room before I ask them to do it, like it's easy. Most of us don't know what that's like. It's easy. It's easy to be awesome when life is awesome. You know when it's hard to be awesome? When life is hard. When life is awful. When life's difficult. You know, we see people celebrate lots when there's victory, don't they? We see, you know, athletes, this is a trivial example, you know, they'll, they'll make a first down and they'll do a lot of dancing and carrying on. Nobody cheered last night when our Atlanta United team scored for the, for the other team, did they? Like nobody, nobody's cheering for that except the other team. Like, nope, that's not awesome. Like it's easy to be awesome when things are awesome. It's hard to be awesome when things are awful. And what if, what if, what if when things are hard, what if when you get that phone call, what if when things are awful, something awesome could happen? What if in the midst of your awful, God could make you awesome? You know, C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says this, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain, so you can ignore some good things, can't you? There's some good things that happen to you that you can ignore. Pain insists on being attended to. It is loud, isn't it? You can't just shut it out. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is a me- his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Listen, we've all seen people who go through a difficult time, and sometimes they don't handle it so well, do they? You ever met somebody and they went through something hard and they didn't handle it so well? They handled it a little bit like my wife handles a roach in the laundry room. There's a lot of screaming and carrying on. I'm thinking some, somebody's lost a limb up there. Like, what happened? Oh, it's a roach. Oh, okay. Well, could you just spray next time? Like, sometimes people panic, and they begin to ask these questions, and they begin to not know where to turn. They begin to shut down. But there are some people we've all met. There are some people that just respond differently. There are some people who respond, and our, our fate 
is strengthened by how they handled their pain and their awful circumstance. There are some people who just have this ability to move forward with confidence and with positivity and that their faith is grown and they bring purpose out of their pain. You ever see anybody like that? You know anybody like that? Don't you want to be that kind of person? Listen, we're guaranteed to have some struggle in life. We're guaranteed, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. It's, it's going to happen, or it has happened. And we can choose how we respond to it. And it can continue to be awful, or we can let God use it to make us awesome. There's a great picture of that in the, the Bible before we get into our story. There's a great picture of how this looks in a, he, the book of Hebrews book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35 it's just painting this picture of this what they call the hall of faith those who are looked upon as just being stalwarts in the faith those who are looked upon that we should imitate that our lives should be like and he says this he says uh, kind of halfway through verse 35 he begins to say some were tortured some refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment they were stoned sawn in two they were killed with a sword Sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute. They were afflicted and mistreated. And watch this part. Of whom the world was not worthy. Because of how they handled the suffering and adversity. And listen, you want to be a person that the world is not worthy of how you handle it. Because you are so heavenly minded. And so I know that in a room like this and circumstances like today, there's, there's some struggle in there. There's some pain. Some of you got phone calls this week you didn't expect within the last year. Some of you, it's been maybe years ago, but it was so devastating. It still continues to stir up. But today, today, here, here, listen to me. I just believe that God can bring you some hope. I believe God can change how you see your suffering. I believe God can do something awesome in the midst of it, if you'll just hang with me for the next 25 minutes. So in this story, in John chapter 9, we have Jesus and his disciples and his friends. And, you know, Jesus' disciples are just those that Jesus, he gave the mission to, didn't he? He said, listen, you are the guys that are going to carry this forward. And so he's walking along with his disciples. And it says, he passed by, meaning Jesus and his disciples. He saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. Now think about this a minute. If you're blind from birth, what are you? Blind. You cannot see anything. So you've never seen a blue sky? You've never seen your parents' face? You've never seen your friends? You've never seen a plant, a house? You've never seen a sunset? You've never seen any of God's great creation? This guy was blind from birth. So they asked him a question. His disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, it's another thing that they would have called Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, whose fault is it? Who's responsible for this tragedy? And really, if we read between the lines, who are they blaming? They're blaming God. Because if someone sinned, then God's in charge of the punishment. So they're blaming God. Like, who sinned, this man or his parents? And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to shift their thinking. So he takes a complete right turn. And rather than getting to this argument about cause and effect, what Jesus says is this. It wasn't this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, so what I want us to look at is not so much the man, but at Jesus' response to this to suffering. Like, can you imagine some of you know people who are blind. You know that this is not the ideal for, them, for their bodies to function that way. We know that it brings an extra level of suffering and pain and hardship. We know this. And so what Jesus wants to do is shift from cause and effect to purpose. He wants to raise the level of conversation from getting bogged down in some questions and, and bring some solutions 
of purpose. This is what Jesus is trying to do in this moment. Now, now, now one of the, the assumptions that we clearly have here is Jesus is not surprised, is he? He's not looking at like, blind? Who's blind? I didn't know that could happen. Is that a thing? Like, Jesus is not shocked. He already knows. He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows the work that he's going to do in this man's life. Jesus is not taken off guard. And sometimes we live, uh, we live our lives as if we shouldn't suffer, don't we? Right? We live as if this world is all there is. Sociologists today will say we're the first generation that lives is like today is it. We don't live for the next generation. We live for right now. And, and Jesus doesn't have that perspective. We need to understand that, hey, you know what? There is suffering in the world. We see it everywhere, but when it happens to us, sometimes it causes us to be thrown off track. It can rattle us, and it can knock us off center. Here's the thing. If you follow Jesus, there's some teaching out there called the prosperity gospel. Anybody heard the prosperity gospel? And here's what that is, right? It's like if you do certain things, man, you're going to be rich. You're going to be healthy. Your agenda is going to get accomplished. The problem with that is the Bible, <laughs> The problem with that is Jesus' life. How could we expect not to suffer when our founder was executed? Amen? Like, come on. So we're going to have some struggle, but we need to know how to respond to it. Okay? We need to know how to respond to it. And Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of his great love for us. Hey, you're suffering. You're not shocked. And now, I, I've, had, uh, I've had some suffering in my life. More than some, less than others. And a lot of you are new since some of the things that happened in my life a few years ago happened. So I just want to kind of update you, uh, just kind of give you a little bit of insight into my, my, my experience in suffering. Because sometimes suffering, you know, it, I could see where today you may have some walls up. Like, wait, you don't know what I've been through, right? You don't, you don't know where I've been. You can't relate to me. And I promise you, if you will just take just the next, for the next few minutes and just let those walls down, that God really could do something amazing and transformative in your life today. So, so let me just tell you a little bit about um, an experience I had years ago. Back in July 5th, 2007, it's one of those calls you don't want to get, right? You got, we had four kids. We'd just come off a vacation, and my children at that point were 14, 12, 10, and 8. And we had just come back from New York, so uh, we needed a break. We took our kids to their, to, to their grandparents' house. But um, we, they were, my, boys, my three boys were staying at their grandparents' house up in the North Georgia mountains. And so Debbie and I had gotten in the car, and we were going up doing some errand running, and we were up north of Cartersville, up in a dare, close to Daresville off of 75. And the phone rings, and it's um, my kid's granddad. And he says, hey, there has been an accident. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, what happened? Like, broken arm, finger, like, what's up? He says, you know, um, they were riding in the golf cart with their grandmother, and it, it tipped over, and it tumbled down the mountain. I'm like, okay, cool. Listen, how serious it is. He says, I'm not sure, but the paramedics are putting John, your youngest, on the helicopter right now. Oh, that sounds bad. Like, so in this point, I'm in a parking lot of a library. We pulled over. And so we're not with them. We don't even know which hospital they're taking him to. So Debbie and I get in the car and we begin to drive downtown. As we drive down 400, a helicopter flies over us that we find out was my son, John. Now, now some of you know John. He just finished our leadership development program. He's been here for a year serving as an intern out front. So um, there's a great story of redemption. But in these moments... We're not sure what's going to happen. So we finally make it to Eggleston. Anybody ever had to go to Eggleston downtown? That's a challenge. Uh, it, it, when you're thinking clearly, it's a challenge. When you're uh, in a hurry, it is a bigger challenge. 
So we finally stumble into the ER, and I can see John through the door, and I can see them working on him, and he's got tubes coming out, he's bloody, he's got dirt and leaves all over him, and you know, I can't go in to see my boy, and that's difficult in itself because they're working on him, but I totally understand. I've got nothing to offer in those moments other than prayer, which is a big deal. So they prepping him for surgery, and the doctor comes out and says, hey, can we, can we walk, uh, come, come, in this, come into my, this room over here. And so they take us into the, the smallest room ever made by men, right? You go into the small room, and I'm with a couple of doctors, and the social worker comes in, another bad sign. And so the social worker comes in, they begin to tell us, hey, we have a very severely injured bat, uh, little boy. And they just begin to prepare us that he might not make it. So we go to the waiting room, and we are there, and we just through hours of surgery, and they don't know his name yet, so they called him Argentina. Argentina. Trauma Argentina. So now he has a big tattoo on his forearm, Arge, this, this, the country of Argentina that I advised him not to get, by the way. <laughs> so we're in the waiting room just waiting desperately, hopefully not having any updates of what is happening and then finally, around 9 o'clock that night, we get to go back into ICU and see him. And as we come upon him, he's got tubes coming all, you know, he had 17 different tubes coming in, heavily medicated, intubated, all of that. And so um, I wrote a blog post the very next day that kind of outlined his injuries. Um, he had a 9-centimeter cut from the middle of his left cheek to his neck. So it was very close to that artery that's very important. This has caused major issues with blood pooling in the back of his throat and blocking his breathing. He had a 7-centimeter cut on his upper right thigh. He had a broken right humerus that was literally snapped in two. It should not require surgery. They set it this morning for a splint, and that was fun to watch. He had a broken left orbital bone. He had a broken left petreus bone, that's your inner ear bone, and blood was still coming out of his ear. He had a fractured skull behind his left ear. He had a fractured left jaw, and he had lost his two front teeth. He was on a breathing tube that they removed prematurely and had to reinsert. Boy, was that fun. They had a very difficult time, and they had to call in several different doctors before they could make that happen. So they were going to give him a scope on Monday to determine the cause of blood pooling in the back of his throat. This is causing his breathing problems, and they feel it is a soft tissue injury. Today, we will see an oral surgeon, a plastic surgeon, an ENT, an OBGYN. Oh, wait, not that one. You, gotta, you still got to have humor in difficult times, fellas. And who knows who else? He's undergoing an EKG because he's had a couple of blood pressure problems, especially when they set his humerus. So we were in ICU for 17 days. And the 17 days that we were there was up and down, as many of you have experienced that know. When he gets out of ICU, they take, we take him to rehab, and the prognosis is he's never going to walk again. He has a brain injury, and so there's going to be a lot of other complications, and he can't swallow. So for months, he had a feeding tube, the, uh, the, an NG tube that comes out of your nose into your stomach. And so we would, there's so many stories about that. And so we were from doctor to doctor to doctor because they couldn't determine it. Until one night, his breathing began to get very, very loud. And we, Debbie takes him to the doctor that morning. And as she diagnoses him, the scar tissue in his throat is beginning to close in around his feeding tube to the point it's going to shut off his ability to breathe. So I was coming in from downtown. Debbie calls me, and I meet her at Scottish Rite. We spend the night at Scottish Rite, and the next morning we find ourselves on a very small airplane to Cincinnati, Ohio, for emergency surgery where they find that John has had a fractured larynx. Now, you need your larynx to breathe and eat. And so we go through a few weeks in Cincinnati, multiple return visits. 
And in those days, it could have been easy for me. And I wanted to do what the disciples wanted to do. That's blame somebody. I could blame his grandparents. I could blame the doctors for not figuring it out. I could blame the nurses. I could blame the professionals. I could blame, blame, blame. But here's what that would have done. That would have trapped me in the prison of my own pain. Blaming traps you in the prison of your own pain. And it doesn't mean that someone else isn't responsible. It doesn't mean that someone else didn't do something that caused this to happen. It doesn't mean, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not helping you come to resolution. So Jesus says, why would you blame them? And John had this physical pain as well as heart pain. And Debbie and I just had this emotional pain. I could read you my blog post as my heart was just broken over that. And and your heart can be broken. It can be broken because your body's broken physically or it can be broken by another person. It could be that you faced a situation where you got divorce papers that you never want to see happen. It could be a situation where you faced a financial downturn that caused this unexpected stress in your life. There's so many things that can happen that can cause us pain. And when we blame people, what happens is it removes us from being able to move forward with a solution. And Jesus says, listen, don't get caught in that game. Don't get stuck doing that. Like, Don't be trapped doing that. It will be to your own peril. You want somebody to pay for your pain, and as long as you blame, you'll be the one that pays for it. Don't blame. Another thing that we see is, you know, we can't dismiss pain. Jesus doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't say, oh, being blind, that's not so bad. He he completely owns it and acknowledges it. And here's what happens to us. Sometimes we see someone that maybe went through pain more difficult than ours, and we just want to kind of, hey, you know, it's fine. My dad used to, he had this phrase, grin and bear it. You heard that? Grin and bear it. Just meaning, hey, you just got to suck it up. You just got to keep moving. You just got to keep going. And sometimes you do need to keep going, but you can't dismiss the pain because it hurts. It matters. You know, this, la- this month is Suicide Prevention Month. And this last week there was an event over at the Milton City Council where we had some of our staff were there, but also other professionals to help deal with this crisis we're facing in our community as well as our country. And it's this crisis of depression and suicidal thoughts and this epidemic of suicide in our country. And let me just speak to you just a minute. If you find yourself drifting into dark places in your mind, feel like you can't get out of bed or don't want to get out of bed, you kind of wish this thing would be over, you need to find somebody to help you. Don't do that alone. Hey, listen to me. Look at me. Your life, God sees you He loves you. He has a plan for you. And you can't see it now. Let me see it for you. Don't do it alone. Don't do it. Don't do it. Come on. If you think nobody cares, we do. Because God does. God sees you. Don't dismiss your pain. Don't dismiss it. Also, we can't just go through life expecting it. We can't just go through life waiting for something bad to happen. You know somebody like that? Like there, There's this phrase I used to use, and I don't even know what it means. But it's always like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Anybody heard that? You heard that? You know what I mean? Like, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, something bad's going to happen. And so some people will say this. They will say, you know, either, either you're in the middle of suffering, you're coming out of suffering, or you're going into suffering. Right? You know what I say to that? Shut up. 
<laughs> Certainly there's some truth to that, but we can't live lives looking over our shoulder if something bad is going to happen. Like it is no way to live. Like nobody wants to be around you. You've heard of Murphy's Law, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And so I meet people sometimes just say, how's it going? It's going good for now. So we can't live as if something bad is always going to happen. But we can be prepared when it does. Listen, we can be prepared when it does. We can be determined. We can have a foundation. We can be resolved on how we're going to handle it. Watching Psalm 112 says this, the righteous will never be moved, meaning those who follow God, those who are eyes are on God, they will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. Listen, is anybody here afraid of bad news? Like, have you ever gotten a phone call and they called you like, oh my goodness, I wonder what this is. You got a college student, you're like, oh no, they must need money. Did that ever happen? His, not afraid of bad news, his heart is firm, he trusts in the Lord. His heart is steady, he will not be afraid. Listen, we can be steady. We can be calm in the midst of chaos when it seems like our circumstances are going to overtake us and trouble crashes on the shores of our life. We can be steady because God has his eyes on us. His eyes on the sparrow is the old hymn saying. God knows. God's eye is on us. And listen, because, because God's eye is on us, we can look towards him. Keller, Tim Keller has this quote that I love, love, love. It says, if faced rightly, meaning struggle, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God to more stability and spiritual power than we could ever imagine, right? And this is what God wants to do. Now, you, we want to know, did God cause this? Isn't that your question? Why did God allow this? And what Jesus says is, don't get bogged down. Those things, those are questions that we should answer, but that's not going to be the end of the story. Our, God's love can be driven into our hearts so deep and so strong that we will be stable. Listen, because God's eyes are on our pain, our eyes are on God. Because God's eyes are on our pain, it's on your pain and your pain, our eyes are on God. And so every day when we get up, here's how we prepare for the storms of life is we just follow God. Every morning when we get up, we put our eyes on God. We say, God, today is your day. It's, nothing's going to happen that you won't handle. Nothing's going to come my way that you can't be a part of, that you don't see. It's not going to catch you by surprise. We can put our eyes on God and pursue God. So, so Jesus shifts the conversation. And then in verse 3, what we see is that he sees, he sees what's happening in this man, but he sees more than the pain. God sees the purpose. God sees the purpose. He says, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Now, works in the Bible, when Jesus speaks of works, what the work of God is for us to see Jesus, right? So when he says works, it means the works of God is so that God can be displayed in this circumstance. And so when God's works are displayed, guess what? We see God. God gets the stage because God's work is what's displayed in our life. God's work is what's displayed for the world to see. Do you want to see God displayed in your life? Like, like have, you ever, have you ever heard this saying, God is, bad things will happen, but everything's going to happen for my good and for God's glory. Anybody heard that? If, you, if you've heard it, say yes. You've heard that. For my good and for God's glory. But if we're honest, guess what we do? We kind of lean on to the for my good part, don't we? Like, it's like, oh, I missed my flight. God must be going to upgrade me to first class tomorrow. 
You know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Somebody who travels. You know, I mean, we lean on that. So we're like, hey, you know, something good. What about that? Right? What about God's glory in the midst of that? And what we have to remember and what we have to hang on to with tenacity, what's going to be good for us is for the stage to be his. Like the stage belongs to God. We have to surrender the stage to God. And sometimes in the midst of our struggle, we don't know how to do that. We don't want to do that because our pain is so deep and it's the truest thing about us. But the truest thing about us is that there is a God who loves us. The stage belongs to God. And we've seen people do that. Haven't you seen people? They go through a difficult time and God does some amazing thing and they stay positive and they, stay, they, they own their pain and they don't dismiss it, but they just stay with it and they move through it and God, and God does something crazy through it. He redeems it somehow. This is what the business that God is in. But then we've seen people that don't suffer well. I was uh, with a lady, a friend, she was a friend of mine who was in the final days of her life. And as I was in a room and we were just talking, we kind of had that brother-sister relationship, you know, where we could be pretty honest with each other. And what I've noticed about when someone suffers, you know how we tend to treat them differently? Have you noticed that? If you know someone that's been through a difficult time, you, you tend to let them say things they probably otherwise wouldn't say. You tend to, we tend to let them have behavior that we would, all, we would consider poor behavior, except in these situations. And sometimes somebody needs to step into that and say, hold on just a minute. <laughs> you need to pull yourself together. And I had, I had uh, just decided this was one of those times. And so as she was talking to me about, we were talking about death and what was going to happen and all that. She just said, she just looked at me now. She said, I don't care if God has a purpose for this. I don't care. I want to stay here. And I just told her, I said, hey, and I called her name. I looked her right in the eye. I says, you're not going to get to choose that. You don't get to choose. But what you can choose is to leave a legacy here. What you can choose is how you handle it, how you respond. That's what you get to choose. The stage, the stage belongs to God. But because it belongs to God, there is nothing that's destroyed that, that, that God wants displays something better. Let me read that a little bit differently. God will display something greater than what was destroyed. We have to own that some things get destroyed, right? There, there are some things that get destroyed. Families get destroyed. Bodies get destroyed. Lifestyles get destroyed. Dreams get destroyed. Our agenda gets destroyed. There is no diminishing that. That happens. But what gets displayed is greater. Like this is the, this is the message of following Jesus, that what gets destroyed, there's something greater that gets displayed. Like that's not, there's no better picture of that except uh, than in the book of Genesis. There's this, this man named Joseph. There, our kids are learning about Joseph today. And in Genesis, maybe you've heard some of this story. Joseph had uh, a lot of brothers and they hated him. They were jealous of him. So they sold him into slavery. Feels extreme, doesn't it? Like what about you and your sibling? Like would you sell him into slavery? Don't answer that question. They sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph finds himself slavery. Basically, he's a slave in the governor's house, and he works his way up. He's falsely accused of some immoral activity that he didn't do. He gets thrown in prison. And so Joseph is in prison, and he begins to work his way up until eventually the king hears about it. And when the king of Egypt hears about it, they're in the midst of a famine, or they're, they're about to go into a famine. And so he brings Joseph in and is the second in command so that when the famine hits, Joseph is in charge of all the food. Joseph is in charge of life for the entire nation. Guess who shows up hungry 
Joseph's brothers. Now, now, I don't know about you, but if I have had years to think about what my brothers did to me, I could have been very creative in their punishment. Couldn't you? Thinking about the ways I would get them back, being bitter about the way I was treated, being frustrated and blaming them. And so Joseph's brothers come back, and they're afraid that Joseph is going to want to uh, enact retribution. But Joseph sees it differently. Joseph sees the purpose in it. And here's what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That man is awesome. Because God, he let God do a work in his life that saved many lives. And when he could have blamed people and been bitter and nobody would have thought he was wrong, Joseph saw his pain the way God saw his pain, and that is with purpose. You know, because God works for me, I can live on mission for him. Because God works for me, because God is the one who's going to use my life, my experiences, and he's even going to use my suffering, he's especially going to use my suffering, man, I, I can live for him. And the way I live for him is just by serving other people. The way I live for him is just to, to help other people know how great he is. So God sees our pain, but he sees the purpose in our pain. He sees the purpose in your pain. Even when you can't see it, God's got long-term vision for you. Even when you don't know it and you don't feel it, hang on that God's got a purpose. Let me tell you, when I was going through our trial with John, and we were trading out nights at ICU. I would go spend one night, come home. Debbie would go spend one night and come home. There were mornings I woke up and went in my office and I felt alone. I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like there, he was nowhere to be found. But the only thing I knew to hold on to was his words. And man, he proved to be so faithful. Listen, God's not going to abandon you. He sees the purpose even when you can't. Now, now, in Jesus' story here with this blind man, we see that Jesus does, does heal him. John chapter 9, he says, Having said these things, the things that you know, he just taught them about, he was going to do something great. He spit on the ground. Doesn't feel very Lord-like, does it? He spit on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva. Huh, what's he going to do with that? Like, like so, so think about this man. This man's blind, but one thing that's really good is he can hear really well, can't he? And if you make mud with saliva, like how much saliva does that take? I feel like you're going to make some noise, right? So Jesus made some noise spitting on the ground. Just saying, this guy's got to hear it. He's got to know what's happening. He said to him, and he put, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Now, now, now listen, just, for, just as a side note, if that's me, I'm like, Jesus, couldn't you just say, like, be healed and let me go my way? <laughs> but whatever, Right? He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. And here's the truth about our pain and our suffering, our hardship. There's something God wants you to see. There, there's something God wants you to see. As you feel confused, as you feel like you're living in chaos, as you feel like, you know, questioning and wondering, there's something God wants you to see. You know, God wants you to see you differently. God wants you to see you differently. You know, there are some character qualities that you have that will not be eradicated or removed without, without a level of pain. There's some anxiety. There's some selfishness. 
God loves you too much to leave you where you are. You, you will begin to see you differently. You'll begin to see the world differently. You'll begin to see the world differently. Your priorities will change. You'll realize what's important more. You'll be able to pay attention to the things that you're, where you're going to leave a legacy. You'll see the world differently. Listen, you'll see God differently. And if you'll turn your eyes towards God and your pain, you'll see how much he loves you, cares for you, and wants to bring good out of your suffering. Watch Now, now before we get to this man's response, so this man gets healed and then everybody's in an uproar. He was healed on the Sabbath. Now, that was kind of the holy day. And you couldn't do work on the holy day. And healing somebody was required work. Can somebody just say that's stupid? Like, healing was... Re- Nobody wanted to say that? <laughs> healing was work. And so everybody was upset. Like, who broke the laws? And so eventually, they bring the man into the, before the religious authorities. They're like, hey, who healed you? Was it that man? It couldn't be that man, Jesus, because he's a sinner. And watch what he says. He says, hey, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I couldn't see and now I can see. There was some suffering and pain that I was going through, but now I can see. And I can see more than physically. I can see what's going on here. I can see what's happening. I can see why you're trying to, uh, to ridicule him and why you're trying to bring him up on charges because you want to get rid of him. Listen, I can see. Listen, sometimes we get controlled by our suffering. And that's what happens if you just stay in this, hey, I I was blind, I was blind, but now I see. Listen, God doesn't want you to stay in your suffering. He doesn't want to to control you, but to compel you, right? God doesn't want your suffering to control you, but he wants your suffering to compel you. You know, when suffering controls you, it's everything you look at, right? It's always, you're defined by the bad thing that happened. But if it compels you, you use it for good and for productivity. Listen, we should never forget what happens to us. I will never forget what happened to John Gibbs. I will never forget. It will always cause me pain. I don't like talking about it. I don't like when my kids talk about it. But I also know God, I also see what God has done through it. Man, I see the redemption and the restoration that happens when God is focused on and when he comes through for you. Listen, as I look back on that day, there, you know, we, we could look back on it with tragedy, but it, one of the first things that John was able to do is um, one of the first things he was able to eat was a push pop. Anybody know what a push pop is? Can I have one, please? No. Um, the first thing he was able to eat, now, now here's, this is cool. The first day he ate was on his birthday. Yeah, that's cool. And so every day on July the 5th, we don't call it accident day. We call it life day. And guess what we do? We eat push pops together. This is us gangster push pop eating in my backyard. It's my two sons, me, and a friend of John's, man. We, this is what we do to celebrate the restoration that God has brought in his life. Man, my son came to Christ in this church. My son wants to work at a church. What in the world? Right? He's a, he's a thriving student in college now. Man, God has done some amazing restoration. Beyond that, I have a son, my older son, who was with him, who helped him as he was bleeding and trying to walk and couldn't walk and to get him up the mountain. My son, who did that, is now a level one trauma nurse. You think that has something to do with it? Yeah, come on. And maybe that had something to do with it. So I, I think, you know, those, those stories that he'll tell me about the things that happened in that ER, I have to think, man, this is God's way of restoring something that was so completely devastating. We read stories about this all the time. Think about the stories of 9-11, the tragedy that it was. 
But think of some of the redemption that we see God bring out of it. Listen, God wants to bring purpose out of your pain. And he wants to restore what's been stolen from you. But as long as we live in blame and dismissal, man, we are not going to experience it. Now, now I do think, I do think there's a next level of suffering. And some of you are probably asking this question. What about when somebody dies, Stephen? Like, how, how is that going to be made right? That's a real question. And we need to be a church that deals with real questions like, what happens? Christianity in suffering makes the greatest contribution in history. Because you can never suffer well without your eyes on eternity. We can't live as if this is all that there is. We can't believe that there's nothing more. We are the first generation, sociologist tells us, that don't live for the next generation. That we do everything to enjoy pleasure and comfort now. That will not help us. Listen, the, the contribution that Jesus made by rising from the dead and then passing that on to us, there is nothing greater than that. And while we may feel like it's not practical and help us today, hey, it's pretty darn practical when something devastating goes on. Because if I were to ask you what's the greatest tragedy that could happen, it has to deal with death, doesn't it? Like, that is where it is. So how does this happen? Man, and I was reading through the book of Job this week preparing and doing some research. And we all know Job, don't we? Like, if you're suffering, you're like, I'm just like Job. You're not really. But I'm just like Job. Job suffered. Like, wouldn't you hate for your name to be Job? Hey, I I met some people whose name was Job. I'm like, your parents are idiots. That's what I thought. (laughs) Now, if you named your kid Job, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But, man, we know the suffering Job went through. Let me just kind of walk through the suffering that Job had, but also the restoration. So so there was a man in the land of Uz, I'd hate to be from there too, whose name was Job. He was blameless. This dude was perfect. Nobody could accuse him of anything. He was upright. He had a great reputation in the community. He feared God. What more could you want? He turned away from evil. Like He was perfect. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He has ten kids. Right? He's got 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He's got a lot of animals. It had to smell bad. Very many servants. He was the greatest of all the people of the East. Like, he's the greatest. Everyone knew Job. Everyone turned to Job. He was looked at, that's the person I want to be. He was a hero. Now, if we know the story, we know that he loses everything. He loses his health. He loses all his, everything that he owned, all his animals. He loses his family. He lost his, he lost his female donkeys. He lost his servants. He lost his seven sons. And he lost his three daughters. They were gone. And watch what happens. The Lord gave Job back twice as much as he had before. Twice as much. He restores Job twice as much. Now, 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 right here, up until this week, this is how I looked at that. I'm like, yeah, he got a lot of cows back. He didn't get his family back. That's still a loss. Watch this. Twice, remember, we're going to do some math, okay? He got 14,000 sheep. Watch how this works. 7,000 times 2 is what? 14,000. Let's do this together. It's a group exercise. (laughs) 3,000 camels times 2. 500 yoke of oxen times 2. 
500 female donkeys. I messed you up there, my bad. So we see the math works, doesn't it? Twice as much, every single time. Watch this. Three daughters, twice as much. Three daughters. Seven sons, twice as much. Seven sons. It's not twice, is it? What happened? I thought it was twice. It is twice. These seven and these three are not lost. God knows he will see them again. He knows that after he dies, he'll be reunited with them. He did get double. He had his original seven that he'll get back, and he got the new seven. He had these original three and went, that he'll get back, and then he'll get, he had a new three. He got twice as much. Listen, what this communicates to us is even though we go through the most difficult, Jesus wept at the, price, the point of death. Listen, Jesus hated death, but we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. You'll be reunited. It doesn't matter. Listen, I have officiated funerals of infants. They will be reunited with their parents. Listen, you will, we will lose people over the course of our life, but those of us who follow Jesus, we have a hope that nobody else has. Come on. We have a hope that nobody else can enjoy. We have the hope of restoration. So as you grieve, as you think that it's all lost, it can never be. Listen, God wants you to hold on to this hope. It'll be restored. It will be restored. I don't know your pain today. Man, but God does. God does. And God wants to use it for a purpose. To make you awesome. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the resurrection. Thank you that we have everything we need for life and godliness and for our future. Thank you for a God who loved us so deeply that he came for us to suffer pain just like we did. And he knows, he knows the pain. He's cried the tears that we've cried. He's experienced the heartbreak and the loss. But he also has done something about it. He paid for it. And he's transferred to us this ability to live the resurrection life. God, that we would always see Jesus through those lenses, that Jesus is the point of life. And this is why, this is why nothing can happen to us that he won't eventually restore if we will trust him. We just pray in his name. Amen. You know, at the end of the story, Jesus heals the blind man. The blind man comes to Jesus and he says to him, Lord, Jesus, I believe. And he worshiped him. You see, worshiping gets our attention back on God, focuses our eyes on God, helps us to look at God. So we're going to take a few moments to close out our service today through worship. And listen, Maybe today you're in the midst of some pain and God just needs to use the, the words of these songs to bring some healing and hope. And maybe today, maybe today, you just need to focus your attention on that. But certainly through worship, what we're saying is, God, even sometimes when we don't feel like it, we believe that you're enough. We believe that nothing can stand against us because you are for us. Let's stand together as we worship.